You're listening to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast with leadership speaker and consultant, Nicole Greer. Thank you for tuning in to the Vibrant Leadership Podcast. My name is Nicole Greer, and I am so excited to have with me today, William Sparks, but he lets me call him Will. And let me tell you about William Sparks. Uh, He is somebody I've had a glass of wine with. He is somebody I have meditated with, and he is somebody who has given me a grade on my report card. So I'd like to introduce Dr. William Sparks, but again, we're gonna call him Will. He is a professor at Queens University and has his own organization. And he wrote this book that is so stinking good. We gotta get this book free assessment included. Don't miss that. So Will, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, Nicole. Thank you so much for inviting me to be on the Vibrant Podcast and really looking forward to this conversation. Yeah, well, so I am all about leadership. It's like the place that I am zeroing in on because when I go inside organizations, and I know you go in organizations all the time, I look around and it's like, well, we have a lot of process, we have a lot of procedure, but really what is needed, especially in times like this, is great leadership. And I'm curious, um, you know, uh, how would you define leadership in a nutshell? What would you say? Well, I would define an actualized leader as a uh, more fully integrated individual. Uh, And by that, I mean someone who has a high degree of self-awareness and they have met and and sort of embraced what I call their leadership shadow, their darker side where they go under stress. So a more fully integrated individual who elicits the willing collaboration of others. And that part of the definition is a standard Harvard business definition, eliciting the willing collaboration of others. And then the other bookend I would put on that uh, is someone who consistently engages in what I call the three sequences of self-actualization, which are confidence, performance, and renewal. Mm, That's awesome. And it's all in this book. Now, here's what everybody needs to know is that I have been taught everything that is in this book by you personally. Um, Talk a little bit about the actualized part. I know people are like actualization, self-actualization. What are you talking about right there? People know this. They took psychology in high school or college. Yeah, they probably remember Abraham Maslow and the hierarchy of needs and self-actualization is at the top of the pyramid. So that is Essentially, it's it's reaching your highest potential. Um, the, if those of, of you listening to this or watching this that are uh, old enough to remember the 1970s Army campaign, which was be all you can be, that is essentially self-actualization in a nutshell. It's living at your highest potential. And my research and work in this field uh, over the last 20 plus years has really focused in on the Uh, finding that the only way to actualize your highest potential is to have the courage to acknowledge your darkness. Uh, We, I think we have it uh, many, in many ways, we have it backwards. We feel like if we can sit up straight and always be right uh, and sort of, you know, play the part and fake it until we make it, but that's not what it's about. Self-actualization is about realizing your unique potential and purpose. And in my view, the only way you can effectively do that, the only way you can really do that is to have the courage to face and even embrace your darkness. And by that, I mean the, the side that you go to under stress, what I call your leadership shadow. When you when you are aware of that and you, you acknowledge it and you give those that you work with permission to call it out when they see it, it's a powerful uh, transformation that occurs not just for the individual, but for the entire organization. 
Yeah, I love that. So, you know, when I first was, ex- you know, exposed to this, when I took, you know, leadership at Queens, when I was getting my MSOD, um, you know, I, I I had this like revelation because one of the things I would say when I would teach another assessment is I would say, now, listen, um, if you've never taken a personal assessment like this, you know, turn the mirror inward and done that, you know, that self-assessment, you read the first like eight pages of whatever report it is. And you're like, oh, I'm awesome. Like, look at all these great things about me. And then like the last eight pages are like, be careful, you get ugly. <laughs> and I was like, this, this book and this process like actually calls it out and lets you see that there are two ways that you show up. And um, I love this uh, powerful coaching question. Uh, what is it like to experience you? And I think yeah. this tells you there are two ways. So will you talk a little bit about what a shadow is? Because people are like, okay, well, shadow, what do you mean? Yeah, it's uh, it comes from the famous Swiss psychologist uh, Carl Jung, who's known for many, if you've ever taken the Myers-Briggs or referred to yourself as introverted or extroverted or synchronicity, uh, all of these notions were came from Carl Jung. Uh, and for our purposes, his concept of the shadow uh, dealt with the darker side of what it means to be a human being. So it's not personal. It's not that you have one and I don't, or that somehow mine is darker than yours. We all have this shadow. It's part of anything that has substance cast a shadow. And so uh, the goal, according to the, Carl Jung, was to to have the courage to, to acknowledge it and face it. So when I say a leadership shadow, I'm referring to very to three specific tendencies that individuals, they fall into one of these three sort of categories and it's understanding that negative side. So let me use an example. An an achiever, a high achiever is someone who is detailed oriented, uh, very organized, uber efficient, uh, color coded to do list, color coded spreadsheets, deep discipline in their field, technical experts. uh, They like to have a plan for everything. They like consistency. They're sort of the engines that drive performance. And Harvard Business School has profiled famous achievers from Oprah Winfrey to Michael Jordan to Bill Gates to Tom Cruise, Lady Gaga, a number of individuals that are very disciplined, very focused. Um, And that's great. But so if the conversation stops there to your first point, then we have this skewed view of what self-awareness is because we have a skewed view of ourselves because there's a shadow side of that. Think of it as the sort of Mr. or Mrs. Hyde to our Dr. Jekyll. The Dr. Jekyll is sort of the persona when we're at our best, but our Mr. or Mrs. Hyde is that shadow piece. And so achievers, their challenge under stress uh, is that they become a classic micromanager. They become rigid, they become critical, they become obsessive, they have a difficult time with spontaneity, Um, And things that trigger, and I call that shadow the fear of failure for an achiever. And things that trigger the fear of failure shadow are things like ambiguity, uncertainty, the prospect of losing, feeling like it wasn't done your way exactly, and therefore it's not going to be perfect. And so there are a number of unique triggers for the achiever style. Now, the the heart of the matter, the bottom line in all of this is the wisdom. (laughs) The bottom line is that the wisdom that comes from Viktor Frankl and his classic man's search for meaning, Frankl survived the Holocaust, and he had a number of insights about human nature, but one of them that I think is the most important is his notion of paradoxical intent, and simply stated, it means this, the more we fear something, the more likely we are to experience it. 
It's a tragic irony of the human condition. Think about the very thing that we're trying to avoid. If we let fear drive our behavior, we increase the likelihood that we're going to experience it. So if I'm an achiever and I let my fear failure shadow kick in and I begin to micromanage and become obsessive about details, um, I will at best artificially limit the trajectory of my career because I'm not delegating, I'm not thinking strategically. And at worst, I will bring about failure because I create a detached climate, folks sort of disengage, they become apathetic when reporting to a micromanager. And so um, it's either going to be my success is artificially uh, lowered or I experience outright failure. And, and Carl Jung captured this concept in a slightly different phrase. He said, we meet our destiny on the road we took to avoid it. And in this case, the destiny of a shadow achiever is failure. The road we take to avoid it is micromanaging, and that's exactly where we ultimately meet that failure if we allow our shadow to drive our behavior. Right. And so, like, I know you do 360s inside organizations with people, and so do I, and the word micromanager comes up all the time. (laughs) It's a common thing. Now, you kind of skated right past it because you were, I mean, you're so passionate. I absolutely adore it. You're so passionate. So you said uh, a detached climate, but like, I just want to say that like a lot of the people that are going to listen to this podcast are curious about how do I build the right kind of culture, but you know, let's talk about that detached climate or culture that happens when you've got a leader who is in, uh, in their shadow achiever. Yeah, so the, my, my research actually 25 years ago started with culture and, and it switched to leadership in the uh, early 2000s. But I initially started researching culture and the impact of leader style on culture. And so an, a shadow achiever creates a detached culture. Um, and there are two other styles, the affirmer, which is a relationship oriented person, empathetic, warm, friendly, but their shadows of fear of rejection, their conflict avoided. And they create a dramatic culture, which is friendly on the surface, but there's a lot of frustration bubbling underneath. And then the the most common culture is a dependent culture. And that's created by the third style, which is an asserter, which is my style. I know this very well. Um, And so the shadow of an asserter. Yeah, I I wasn't going to say it, but yes, I think you are an asserter too. Uh, We are decisive, results oriented, uh, willing to take a risk, confident. But at our worst, uh, we have a fear of betrayal. That is our shadow. And so the fear of betrayal means that we have a hard time trusting others. We have a hard time being vulnerable, asking for help, saying I'm sorry. And the sort of fear that we create in others uh, creates a codependent culture where folks want to give us the right answer. They do exactly what they're told, when they're told to do it, but they're not being innovative. They're not being creative. And so in all three of these cases, a detached culture, a dramatic culture, or a dependent culture, What's needed is a more self-actualized style so that you create an open environment where people feel psychologically safe to disagree, to challenge. They don't feel micromanaged. Uh, they, They can bring their own ideas to the table. They can do things their way as long as they meet the deadline. And most importantly, in a dramatic culture, uh, you can have those crucial conversations. So people can tell you what's really on their mind. Conflict isn't something that's taken offline. Uh, you know, so many times in corporate America, when things start getting a little bit tense in the meetings, like, we'll take that conversation offline. And, and that what that means is a dramatic culture is bypassing what needs to be said, uh, the conversation that needs to occur among and within the group. And so 
having candor, mutual respect, but that means there's going to be disagreement and the like. So it's really a way of just injecting passion into an organization where people feel empowered and engaged. And those just aren't buzzwords. I mean, they really feel like they take ownership in what they're doing. And, and the best leaders and the best managers know when to push, when to pull back, when to inspect, when to trust, uh, when to ask for a clarifying question, you know, and the like. And so they don't just go to their sort of shadow default mode. Uh, they're thoughtful about that. And they, but most importantly, they convey trust uh, in the people that they are working uh, with and for them. That's fantastic. Okay. So you told me a story one time uh, about how you were working with the Hornets and you did the group culture profile. So you said that, you know, they were, they were sitting there and they were looking at the results and they were like, what? And then somebody very famous. Can we tell this story to everybody? Sure. Okay. So what will you tell it? <laughs> because I think yeah. it shows, I think it shows like how you just fall right into your, your uh, shadow. It's like, well, we can't talk about this. We don't have a problem, you know? <laughs> so. Yeah. Well, just, just like individuals, every group, every working team, every management team, every organization also has a shadow side. Again, it's not right, personal. It's the collective, right? It's the collective. It's just it's yeah. anything that has substance, whether it's an individual or Bank of America or the pick or any you know any organization, any size uh, is going to have a shadow. And so, in this case, we were talking about a more dramatic culture uh, where you know people sort of went with the flow and sort of agreed and played a little bit of follow the leader. And, uh, and that was the reason I was asked to come in. And so when I was talking about this sort of warm and polite culture, one of the members of that uh, senior uh, team said, hey, time out, you know, take a look around the room and look at who you're talking to. And we've, we've achieved the pinnacle of success. And, you know, you, you, we are, and, they, and that's true. They, they, you know, they're all very successful, wealthy, you know, famous. I mean, you, you pick the however you want to define success. Um, and to the chairman's credit, uh, the chairman of the organization, he said, time out. Um, if I understand this concept correctly, what I think uh, Will's telling us is that we are agreeing, we're making decisions and we're agreeing together around the table, but privately we have concerns and we're not voicing those concerns. And he said, let me give a couple of examples. And he proceeded to give three examples from the last uh, season of decisions that the, the, the group made. And they agreed during the meeting that they really, no one really wanted to do it, that there were some concerns about the decision. They agreed to do it anyway. That's what's, what's known as the Abilene paradox, which is a kind of groupthink when a group makes a decision and, and no one really wants to do it. And this is so pervasive in organizations. And so it's not personal. It's just, you just see this dynamic play out over and over. And so there was a, there was a tremendous um, breakthrough that, that just sort of injected this energy uh, where there were some agreements made about how conversations were going to go and how, when you had a disagreement or you had a concern, how they were going to be elevated and raised without retribution. In fact, that was going to be a condition of sitting around that table of very successful people. So it was a, it was a, it was a really terrific experience. And I think, uh, I think we came out on the other end of that, a much closer uh, team that felt much more engaged because here's the magic in all of this. And I learned this from my 
now late, uh, the late Dr. Jerry Harvey, who was my advisor and mentor at George Washington, when you're doing this kind of work in groups, he, he drilled into me, you're not providing the group with any new information. It's not magic. Uh, it's, it's simply making explicit what everyone in the group already knows, which is, you know, we're agreeing to do something that we're going to go have a conversation over a glass of wine or around the water cooler. Why are we doing this? And yet we get in the room together and we're all stacking hands and saying it's the right thing to do. Again, it's not personal with any organization or any team. It's, that's just a, a very common dynamic, but it's also a very costly uh, dynamic that needs to be addressed. And so I think that's, uh, I, f- I feel really good about how we were able to, to talk about that. And, and I think sort of have a breakthrough in that, in that one area. Right, right. And so that's, that work is, is using um, the group culture profile. Now, have we um, transitioned the name of that yet? Is it still the we are in the process of doing that okay. now. So I, I'm writing the next book, which is Actualized Teamwork, uh, right. Managing the, the Shadows. <laughs> yeah, it's the companion to that, Managing the Shadow Side of of, uh, of Group Dynamics. And uh, that uh, assessment, which is now called the Group Culture Profile, will be rebranded the Actualized Team Profile. And that will happen sometime in Q1 of uh, 2021. Okay. Fantastic. Fantastic. Okay. So let's, let's talk about like, you know, well, how do I keep my, tame my shadow? How do I stop being the, 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 you know, the bad part and be more the good part? So, so there, there's nine things we can do, right? There are nine, uh, what I call the nine attributes of self-actualized leaders or their nine characteristics. And, you know, you get a score for each of those in the assessment that I've developed and you can, you know, maybe pick your lowest scoring one and you can work on developing, let's say, for example, being more objective in the way you think, uh, dealing with facts instead of feelings is, is being more objective. You can um, be more accepting. Self-acceptance is a huge gift that we can give ourselves. And so often the people that are the kindest to others are their harshest critic. So they, they're very friendly and very supportive with everyone except themselves. And if you could hear what these people tell themselves, it's it's terrible. And so uh, right. self-acceptance self-talk is the huge thing you're talking about. Yeah, self that negative self-talk. Yeah. Solitude, uh, spending time alone. There, there's certain things that you can do to help develop and enhance self-actualization. But all of those kind of notwithstanding, uh, it starts with, you know, awareness and acceptance. And so if you are blissfully unaware of your shadow or you just say, hey, that I agree with the good stuff, but not the bad, and you continue to deny it or project it onto others or to ignore it, you actually feed it. And when you feed it, you give it more power over you. And so it starts with acknowledging, accepting uh, that shadow side. And then I think for, for folks that are busy and that, you know, they don't want to get on the couch and do a psychoanalysis. I get it. I don't want to, I don't want to be on the other side of that couch, quite frankly. So right. how, what do you do? Like if you're in a hurry and you, and you, and you, you know, you get it, it really comes down to, to stepping back and reflecting a little bit and thinking about what price am I currently paying or what price may I ultimately pay uh, if I, um, if I don't deal with this. And so when we step back and we start thinking about, what, what are the patterns in my relationships at work? What are my patterns in my relationships at home? Uh, are there reoccurring patterns in my professional life where I'm not quite getting what I want or not quite excelling on all cylinders or my personal life? And so oftentimes when we step back and we have that reflection, it's just a cost-benefit analysis. Is the cost of changing going to be painful? Yeah. Is it 
Is it tough to sort of sit with that self-acceptance? Yeah, that's why we don't do it. I mean, it's uncomfortable at first, but it's only through that that we are motivated with a sense of urgency to make a lasting change because we realize the price that we're ultimately going to pay if we don't do that. And so I think it's just the most basic level. We do a cost benefit. And when you realize that the cost of not changing is going to be greater and more painful than the cost of of doing some self-awareness and reflection and making some changes, then people often feel motivated. And, and quite often they look back and they've already paid a tremendous price. Uh, and right. they, well, they can you, see that pattern again. Yeah. Well, you call that uh, your F in life story. Yeah. Like you've got one and uh, you can, you know, if you want to hear uh, Will's F in life story, he's got a little Ted talk. What's, what's the, I'll put it in the show notes, but uh, you were up in power. Yeah, it's the power of self-awareness. Uh, it's it's on TED.com. It's the power of self-awareness. It was uh, released in 2018. And it's essentially a summary of my first chapter in the book, which is I'm not very creative. So they have the same title, you know, my F in life. Uh, and it is I my introduction. It's a great title. Why change it? <laughs> it, it? People can relate to it. I mean, that's that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what you're talking about is when, you know, if you're not willing to change, you'll just keep having that F in life moment over and over again. The groundhog things like, how did I get here? That's, a, that's exactly right. And th- this is not anything new. So back in the in the early, you know, 1900s, the 1910, 20, 30, Carl Jung talked about this, what he called the fallacy of fate. He said individuals that were just unwilling to take responsibility for themselves, they were unwilling to acknowledge the darkness. And so it was easier for them to be a victim and to blame fate. And so they would rather sit in, in Dr. Jung's uh, office in the chair and be analyzed and say, well, Fate was against me. The stars were against me. They were not aligned when I was born. And Jung was very clear. There's no such thing as fate. Uh, It's not that the stars weren't aligned. It's that the individual refused to take responsibility and ownership of that darker side. And when you do that, you just you experience the reoccurring patterns until you break that cycle. And, And sadly, Uh, I see a lot of people well along their journey in life that have not been willing to do that. And, um, you know, it's um, not for anyone else to to judge. And so I don't have any judgment around it, but I I can't help but feel some degree of sadness when I see someone who is in that sort of reoccurring groundhog day, as you say, of it's everybody else, you know, and 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 has a problem. Yeah. 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 And, you know, I think the thing is uh, both of us coach individuals, both of us sit down with individuals. And, you know, one of the things that grieves me in my work is, you know, when I first got involved in coaching, they're like, coaching is to help the people with high potential go even further. And I was like, oh, this is for me. I want to work with all these hungry people that want to just really do amazing things with their life. But I get a lot of phone calls of people who are being coached because they have a shadow. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, um, it, it's, you know, a, we all, we all have that. And so I think that, you know, everyone you're going to be working with has that darker side. And, and there's some that are, the great thing about executive coaching is that years ago, before it was even called coaching, I was coaching when it wasn't even called coaching. Um, you know, it was remedial. Right. Well, it was kind of remedial. Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it's counseling. I mean, you, you were working with a shrink, and it was a remediation. And it was sort of a, this is the last, you know, ditch effort. And it had a very negative stigma. Today, thankfully, 
Um, it's a rite of passage. You know, I, I know many organizations where if you're at a certain level or above, you have an executive coach. It's a it's an investment in the individual for him or her to perform their highest level. And so they're, you know, that that's great. That stigma has gone away, I think, for the most part. Um, and certainly in progressive organizations, coaching is seen as something that really is just a continuous learning, continuous improvement, helping the person. Um, and I think it depends on, you know, the kind of what end of the pool you're dealing with. If you're in the shallow end and you're talking about incremental performance and maybe you're a technical expert in a certain area and you're helping the person be a better whatever your technical area is, and that's great. There's absolutely terrific. Then there are other people, I think, that are more in the line of work, Nicole, that we're in, which is more process expertise, which is it doesn't matter what the individual does. Uh, and I've worked with you name it. I mean, literally rocket scientists with the Department of Energy and Defense to, you know, sports management and, uh, you know, CEOs and uh, financial folks and manufacturing and everything in between. And that doesn't matter. The, the content doesn't matter. It's more about the process of helping the person understand what's getting in their way, where those reoccurring patterns. And whenever you start that conversation, always the shadow will make an appearance sooner or later. It typically comes back to either fear of failure, fear of rejection, or fear of betrayal and helping a person understand that. And just giving someone the framework and the language, having a person call it out by name is almost half of the journey right there. That's half of the sort of breakthrough, having that uh, saying like, you know what, it's not just me. This this is common. I see it in other people now. And it, that's a can often lead to a, a very powerful transformation uh, in the individual. Yeah, awesome. Well, uh, you know, we've covered a lot about this, but I do want to say you need to go to Amazon and, and buy the book. But one of the things that I love about Will Sparks is he's a very generous person, like, really generous. And so he has put together a free version that, that you can take right now, like pull out your phone, T tell them how to do that. Well, <laughs> yeah. So they can, th there are a couple of ways you can, you can, the easiest way, way is just to go to www.alpfree and that's actualized leader profile. So just alpfree.com. And it's a very short, uh, it'll take you less than a minute. It's, it's very quick. You uh, get your results immediately and that'll tell you your style and your shadow. Uh, the other would be to uh, download my app if you wanted to have the free assessment, but you also wanted to have uh, the resources for that. So not only is the ALP free available, but you also have an app where people can take the free version and then there's resources for them so they can actually start to go to work. They can do a little self-coaching, right? Yes, there, there are developmental resources. There's a link to the TED Talk. Uh, there's a link to consultants. And I think, uh, Nicole, I know you're on that on list. list. <laughs> that might be in your area if you want to reach out to someone certified in these assessments. Uh, the app is free, and if you just text my name, all one word, lowercase, Will Sparks, S-P is in Peter, A-R-K-S, Will Sparks, to the number 36260. Again, that's Will Sparks to the number 36260. Uh, you just add the app to your home screen, and you're good to go. It installs in just a, just a few seconds, and you can um, access a, a number of resources in that way as well.
That's fantastic. Okay. And so we'll actually have it right here on the screen. So it'll be right there for everybody to do. So we'll do that. All right. So, um, you know, I think that uh, today's world is like, talk about stress. It's a little stressful out there right now. Um, so I'm glad we're past the elections. I'm glad we're through the summer. Um, I'm like you earlier, we were chatting before we started. You said I'm bullish on 2021. Me too. So um, give us some advice, you know, from a leadership expert. I'm a leader inside my organization. What should I be thinking about in 2021? Leave us with a little word of wisdom about how to approach 2021. Be bullish. I think it's a combination. Uh, this is going to sound a little Jungian. He was always dealing with counterpoints. And so he would have the hot and cold or the, you know, white and black. I mean, he was always dealing with that. And I don't mean it to sound like this, but I, I think there's, uh, I do think there's a sense of a bullish energy and tenacity on the one hand. So I, I believe that that people that come out of the gate um, that are aggressive, uh, that are tenacious, uh, that are disciplined, uh, that are willing to put in the work, they're going to be. It's going to be rewarded uh, in this in this new year. I think that people that come out quickly are going to have an advantage. Uh, I mean that sincerely. On the I other agree. hand, for managers and leaders, I think you need to couple that with grace uh, for those that you are um, that you're responsible for for managing. I think that uh, some folks are going to. Uh, be slower coming out of the gate. Uh, people, uh, there's a, a wide range of views around the world we're living in right now, and wherever you fall in that spectrum, uh, be mindful that there are people who fall in a different place in either in either regard. And so, I think uh, having some grace for individuals and uh, and acknowledging and allowing a different perspective uh is the is the best way that a person knows that you know you care about them and that you're going to support them and ultimately i think if you are able to exhibit authentic grace and understanding to others uh, they're going to remember that and i think there's a loyalty and an an ultimate sort of engagement uh, bump that you'll get for that but i wouldn't do it for that reason i would do it just because i think it's the humane thing to do so kind of this counter balance of you know persistence and and tenacity coming out of gripping 21 and, and not letting go <laughs> until you win. Uh, and then, <laughs> and then right. on, the other, on the other end, uh, granting grace and understanding uh, to those that, um, you know, we people have struggled this year. Uh, it's been tough. We're not through it yet. I do, I do think we're getting on the other side of it, but we're not quite there yet. And so uh, I think managing the, that kind of dichotomy is going to be key for being successful uh, in the new year. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what I heard you say is, you know, take the lead and so that people can follow your example. But when they can't turn around and coach, counsel, get people to stand where you see where you're standing, why it's important. So I think that's great advice. All right. So I want to finish up with saying uh, actualized leadership available on Amazon. And if you need help with your team, both Will and I would be delighted to uh, come in and work with your teams. And will you finally tell us where you, what your website is? And we'll finish with that. Yes, it's uh, www.drwillsparks. And that's dr willsparks.com uh, that'll take you to everything you that I've got out there with the book and the TED talk and the app and everything else okay well we're looking forward to the culture piece in 2021 and it's been my absolute delight to spend more time with you always a delight always, always great to be with you thank okay. you Nicole ready to up your leadership game 
Bring Nicole Greer to speak to your leadership team, conference, or organization to help them with her unique SHINE method to increase clarity, accountability, energy, and results. Email speaking at vibrantcoaching.com. And be sure to check out Nicole's TEDx talk at vibrantcoaching.com slash TED talk.